Hello everybody, my name is Anne Teato and welcome to the Psychic Matters podcast, episode number 25. We've all heard of angels, but what do we really know about them? Some of us may be lucky enough to know or feel the presence of our own guardian angels. But what about the other types of angels that exist? Who are they and what do they do? Psychic medium and angel messenger George Curry is on the show to explain the depth and beauty of the angelic realm and the many ways in which angels can help us in our daily lives. I started out in my 20s as a professional circus clown. We would practice pantomime, acrobatics, walking a low wire, creating these improvised comedy sketches. And then at the end of those weeks, we put on a giant show. I also collect tarot. I won't tell you how many decks I have. It's three digits, but a lot of three digits. (laughs) There's a lot of numbers in there. My very first spiritual experience was at five years old with a visitation from what I know now is my guardian angel. The moon was full. It transformed into this being of light, came closer and closer and closer, and then eventually through the window and stood at the foot of my bed. There was an interchange. It might have lasted 10 minutes or so, but it was so profound that there was just these feelings of encouragement, upliftment. And in one way or another, I started this process of learning how to communicate with the angelic realm. I'm very excited to be in the Psychic Matters studio today with George Curry. George, welcome to Psychic Matters. Hi, Anne. Thank you for having me on your show. I'm delighted to be here. Well, I tell you what, I'm really delighted that we've got this chunk of time together to sit and chat because we go back a few years now and I first met you, I don't know how many years ago, quite a few, at Tony Stockwell's Soul Space in England. And you were so dedicated as a spiritual practitioner and spiritual tutor to your development to be the best that you could be, that you used to fly over from your home in America to London and then take a train out of London to Tony's studio every single month as far as I know, for two years. Yeah, it was two years. Well, it's cheaper than therapy. <laughs> so I have George, very fond memories of that time. Wasn't it? And we got on like a house on fire. <laughs> Many laughs were had. George, tell people listening who you are and what kind of work you do. Oh, gosh. Well, I, I am a psychic medium, and I also call myself an angel messenger. I guess I I have a few branches to this tree. In terms of the psychic mediumship, I do private sessions. I do classes. I also will do large group events, currently online. But, you know, there were several years where I was traveling across the states here doing what we call demonstrations or galleries. I love those because I love being in front of people face-to-face. And we would do small theaters, like about 350 to 500. Sometimes I work alone, sometimes with others. I'm also, one of the first things I started with was tarot. Since I was 16, I started reading. And uh, I love to do tarot reading, psychic tarot, but I also teach tarot. So how did that start? How did you start at 16 with tarot? I went to New York City one day on a train from Long Island, or as we say, Long Island. It was a beautiful day. 
I was walking around an area in the 20s, and all of a sudden, the sky turned black, and there was this torrential downpour. I was right in front of Samuel Weiser's occult and antiquarian books, and they had an awning, so I, I ran right under the awning, and I looked in the window. I said, wow, this looks really interesting. So I went in. I spent several hours there. They had these massive oak bookshelves with these antique books. I was like a kid in a candy store. And then in the very back, there was a giant bookshelf with a lot of these tarot decks. And then there was a binder with some plastic insert pages where you could look at samples of the cards. And I had never seen anything like this before. So I just, they they probably couldn't get, get rid of me. I purchased two decks uh, brought them home. I, I read the little white book that came with them, could not understand them. So I just set those aside and I started reading uh, really badly for people, probably for a year or two. And then I started just, I don't know what happened. I got the hang of it. And I met a well-known tarot deck designer and author. And she said, if you want to get really great on this, do a hundred readings or 200 readings for free. And that's what I did. And wow. uh, been reading ever since. Out of interest, what were those two first packs that drew your eye? Well, one was the standard Waitsmith or Writer Waitsmith, mm. and the other was the J.J. Swiss. It's more of a Mar. If you know the tower, I know you know the tower, but if your listeners are not familiar, it's more of a Marseille style deck. Yes, I believe it's out of print now, but I still have it, and I love it. I still go back to reading it. I won't tell you how many. I also collect tarot. I won't tell you how many decks I have. Give us an idea. Well, it's it's three digits. Wow. But a lot of three digits. <laughs> There's a lot of numbers in there. Where where do you keep them all? In an undisclosed location. I actually have a bookshelf that I got from IKEA and this thing is larger than the room itself. <laughs> And I have them very neatly organized according to category, you know, subject matter and the artist style. And have you read with every pack? Yes. You know, I have a private Facebook group for my tarot students and I attempt to do a live reading every week. And so, you know, to look at the same deck for other people, I imagine for 52 weeks is going to be kind of boring. So I like to switch it up. So, you know, depending upon the season, there might be some that relate to seasons or have different artistic themes. I'll, I'll kind of change it up every, every week. So the answer is yes, I actually have. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. And I love it. I've also taught at Omega uh, Institute here in New York with two, uh, the two luminaries. I call them the mothers or grandmothers of tarot, Rachel Pollock and Mary Greer. They're well-known authors, and uh, they've written God, just a ton of books. So I had the honor of teaching with them at Omega uh, at a tarot conference. It's just great fun. Tarot, tarot community, uh, they're non-competitive. They're, they're very kind and loving and supportive. And so it's, it's, it's really just great fun. How wonderful. So how did you get involved with those two ladies? Well, I live not far from Omega, and this is an interesting area. I mean, I know that you know the history of spiritualism, but this entire area, the Hudson Valley, a little bit further south, a little bit further north, is really where spiritualism began. And the Fox sisters live way up in upstate New York, but just across the river in Poughkeepsie uh, is the birthplace of Andrew Jackson Davis. 
And this is just, I don't know, I think it's the drinking water. That's my theory. But there are a lot of uh, psychics, mediums, who live and have grown up in this area. And there's something very special about it. So I live not far from Rachel Pollock. And I, I met her many years ago. I had seen her on video. I, I read her books. I was a great admirer of hers. And I, I saw some pictures of her. So I knew what she looked like. And one day she was coming out of a health food store with two bags of groceries. And I accosted her. I ran up to her face to face. I said, are you Rachel Pollock? And <laughs> she she was actually pressed up against a car. I'm sure she thought I was going to attack her. She, she was troubled. She said, yes, I am. I could hear her thinking, don't hurt me, please don't hurt me. Uh, so we, we became great friends after that. And uh, she, she and, and Mary Greer are just really delightful human beings and brilliant. I hope I can come close to that one of these days. If you had a top tip for people listening about reading tarot, because people get confused, don't they? There's so many different meanings to the cards. There's so many different packs, as you have, as you know. Uh, they also have different meanings. So can can you give anybody any tips on how to? Yes. First is unwrap the deck. Second is there's usually a little booklet called a little white book that comes with it. Now, some of them in recent creations are really wonderful, but I would say 98% of them, you can throw them in the trash. They're rehashes and they won't make any sense. And what I encourage my students, I get my students up and reading within the first 10, 15 minutes of the class. I say, take a card, any card, look at it, pretend you're a three-year-old, a toddler, and you're looking at a picture storybook. Step into the picture and ask yourself, okay, how does this make me feel? What's going on? What's the story? And how does it make me feel? And you will... In doing that, extract a meaning that is not only correct for that situation or that reading, but very, very applicable towards the essence of that card, that image. Thank you for that. That's that's a really good tip for people. So tell us then, you got your first pack of tarot at 16. You started reading the cards and getting to know about your own intuition, I suppose. Then what happened? Well, Actually, my very first spiritual experience was at five years old with a visitation from what I know now is my guardian angel. So that was my very first experience of any kind. It was a time when my parents were arguing. There was a lot of um, financial problems. And I, I know now in retrospect around the house. So as a kid, I spent a lot of time retreating into my room. And I imagine that what I was doing back then was met my version of meditating, which was very simple and crude. Uh, I went to bed one night, I was about to go to bed, and I saw this, the moon was full, it transformed into this being of light, came closer and closer and closer, and then eventually through the window and stood at the foot of my bed. And when it was happening, I was freaked out. I didn't know whether, you know, I was going to die or what was going on, but there was an interchange might have lasted 10 minutes or so, but it was so profound that there was um, just these feelings of encouragement, upliftment, peace, joy, and happiness. And that experience has stayed with me to this day. And in one way or another, I started 
this process of learning how to communicate with the angelic realm. So the, the tarot did not come for me until I was 16. But in between those two, as I started to just experience the presence of angels and, and getting comfortable with that, my paternal grandmother died and I had an experience of her coming to me. I was at school when this happened and I came home and my parents were there. They were both crying, but I, I, I knew what, what had happened. So that, that was the doorway of, for, for me, mediumship uh, opening up. So, and did the, you, so the, the tarot actually, I'm sorry to answer your question, the tarot came last. And did you tell your parents about this angelic experience at five? No. My maternal grandmother was a medium, a working medium. You know, this is going back a long, long time ago, very different than it is now. And my parents were very Catholic. So it was forbidden, even if the subject was broached, the door was shut right away, particularly by my father. So I learned, I learned early on to, to hush up about that. Although I, I talked freely to the nuns in Catholic school when I was growing up and got into lots of trouble. <laughs> yeah, young man, you're a league with the devil. You're going to amount to no good and you're going straight to hell. Yes, sister. <laughs> Thank oh. you, sister. <laughs> oh, dear. Did, did that not frighten you as a child when they would say things like that? As a kid, yes. But, you know, I, I developed a bit of a thick skin towards that as because I went, I went to Catholic grade school for, you know, the whole stretch. I hated it. Absolutely hated it. But I got a good education. That's the one thing. And I, I also learned to torture them back a little bit. <laughs> Those poor nuns. Yeah, you'll have to wait for the book to come out to <laughs> find out about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how did your communications with the angelic realm progress then? You know, it was always more of a private conversation, just sitting quietly and feeling the diff the, the presences of these different beings, because they all are different. I mean, I know now that each of them, the higher orders of angels have a superpower. Many people know Archangel Michael, who's said to protect us in many, many ways. Uh, Raphael is the Archangel of Healing. So I, I got to, to feel the presence of these, and what how each one was different. And I, I started to ask them for help with, you know, things I needed genuine help with, problems. I didn't, I wasn't frivolous about it, and I certainly didn't use them like an ATM machine, you know, every day. But when there was something serious, I would go to them. And I always found that I received messages and guidance about that. And as I started to progress, then I started to work with other people to uh, introduce them to this concept. You know, it's, it's strange. It's weird to the general public. It can be really weird, so I don't I don't feel it's for everybody. But the the over the, the the strongest message that they've given me is that they can make our path lighter and easier. It doesn't in any way free us from personal responsibility. We ha we have to assume full responsibility for our life, our decisions, our actions. But if we can employ them, if you will, to work with us, I, I feel that they can. They can make many things much easier. And when you say you receive messages and guidance, how? Well, you know, th this brings us to the subject of the, the different intuitive channels that we receive messages. I tend to be 
in terms of them, clear audience. So I, I will hear messages in my inner ear. I will also get some images and I'm usually able to unravel those and unwrap them very quickly. And as you know, everybody's different. We all receive intuitive hits in different ways. Some people are strongly clairvoyant. Others have these strong gut level senses, you know, the clairsentience that they just know something is there that would be uh, clear cognizance. But uh, it's a combination for me. So if people at home are, I know you're going to speak a lot more about the angels as we go through this chat together, but if people are wanting to send messages out to the angels around them, how can they, what are they to look out for in terms of receiving the guidance back? I would say the first step is we have to invite their help. I've experienced that they are aware of our situation. They can send us in a generalized way healing and prayers. But beyond that, I don't believe that they can get involved. We need to invite them and ask their permission. So at the beginning of the day, what I say is, welcome angels. If I have like a day of readings, welcome angels. And thank you for being with me and guiding me through these sessions. Or if I just have a day off, I'm doing other things. I will say, welcome angels. Thank you for uh, walking with me today. Just, you know, a very general welcome. And then Presenting an issue, it's just calling out from your heart and mind and saying, you know, I talk to them very frankly. I'm not religious or formal. I say, all right, this is what's going on. It's making me crazy. This is what I'd like to see happen in its place. I end by saying thank you and I love you. And then I wait because I, I entrust that they're doing their part. And I will I wait to receive messages. And that may come as a lyric on a radio where it sparks an intuition, say, oh, that's what I should be doing. You might overhear a conversation from strangers in which somebody says something that strikes something in you, says, oh, I should do this. You might stumble on a book or see some other resource. And I train myself to know to act on those impulses right away. And I've, I've never been led off the path, quite the contrary. The promise that they have made, which I've seen in all of the people that I've worked with, students and clients, is that they will always make one's path easier with the least amount of suffering. And they will not ever let anyone down as long as they're not asking for something that's really stupid, like something that's going to hurt them or somebody else. I've seen that come through all the time. Now, I know a lot of people consider this really flaky and ungrounded, but they say, you know, well, there's no way to prove the existence of angels. But what I like to point out to people is that going back for centuries, if you look at every ancient culture on the earth, regardless of where they are, there are depictions of winged beings. And this is before we had mass forms of communication. And I, I really believe that what those artists were doing were putting into some form a cave painting, a carving, one of the Renaissance pieces of art. I believe that they were depicting what they had as a genuine mystical experience. They're, they're depicting the beings that they experienced in, in the best way that they could. Yeah, that's beautiful. I know that I sometimes call upon the parking angels when I'm looking for a parking spot and I know that the car park's going to be full. I'll send ahead and I will ask the angels, please send me a parking space. And every single time I have a parking space and it's become 
Yeah, it's become, it works so well now that I can envisage in my mind exactly where it will be within the car park or on the street. I'll know there'll be three cars in front and two behind and I'll be in the middle. It's fascinating. That is pretty wild. Well, you know, you could offer a service. <laughs> you know, offer. you could be like the new Uber or Lyft. You can, you can offer to drive around with people and get them the space i will yes call upon the angels but tell us just before we move off the topic of angels you talked a little bit about there's a hierarchy can you say more about that because i've heard of ascended masters and um things like this perhaps you could give a little more explanation for us so the the lowdown is again and this is my own experience i'm not asking anybody to take this on faith but you know check it out for yourself I experience the angelic realm as an entity unto itself. In other words, I don't believe that people become angels or angels become people. I just, that's not been my experience. I know in the Bible, in the Torah, there Metatron and Sandalphon ascended from earth to the heavens to become, to transform from human beings into angels. I don't, I don't really buy that. In terms of the hierarchy, it depends upon where you look. In Judaism, there is a whole cataloging of the angelic realm. And then in Christianity, in the early church, there were several scholars who kind of delineated these orders and groups of angels. But if you, every, everyone that you read will be different. So I've really rely, I have read them all, but I, I tended to uh, rely on my own experience. So guardian angels are the ones closest to earth. I, I, my experience, these are angels that are assigned to us when our soul first comes into creation. They are solely there to work with and for us. No one else, They, I believe that they know our purpose sometimes better than we do. They have no greater joy than to help us really live a life of fulfillment and happiness. Next strata up are the archangels. And, uh, you know, Michael, Raphael, uh, Oriel, who is there to light, shine the light on the path when we don't know where we're headed. Gabriel, the angel of communication. And then for your listeners who are mediums, uh, as I believe that Azariel is unfairly called the angel of death. But I, I believe that Azariel helps people to make their transition to the other side, but also assist in spirit communication, as does Gabriel. So I ask the two of them just to help me out when I'm working. So from the archangels, we go up the highest order of angels. I won't go through the whole list. Highest order of angels are the seraphim. If you're able to see clairvoyantly, they will always appear with six wings. And they sit by the throne of the Godhead, and they're the most powerful angels. Next down are the cherubim. And the, the cherubs uh, are often depicted in Victorian art these cute little chubby babies with wings. That's not been my experience. Uh, first time I saw one, I wanted to run and hide and wet my pants because they're tall and very fierce looking. So I don't, I don't know how they became these little cute little babies, but so, something happened along the way. <laughs> Maybe used to sell Valentine cards and candies. Gosh, George, this is fascinating. And I know that you have a free event that happens every month, which is Calling All Angels. Do you want to say a little about that? Yes, it's been going on for six years now. We have people who tune in literally from around the world, almost every country. 
I think at last count it was 190 countries. I believe there's 192 countries on the earth. Not exactly sure, but um, this is a free event. It's under an hour, and the purpose is to gather together to form this circle of energy, and we experience the blessing of the angels, healing from the angels, and that energy is available to everybody on the call and their loved ones. If you can't make it for the live event, I normally rebroadcast the call for 48, 72 hours after. And the potency or effectiveness is still valid whether you're listening live or in rebroadcast. And it's very powerful. So if, if folks are interested, you just head over to my website, which is spiritlovesyou.com, spiritlovesyou.com, and sign up for my newsletter. And each month I send out the link for the event. I have so so many uh, emails and messages from people from around the world who ex experience all kinds of financial breakthroughs, uh, healing, really healing miracles, like reversals of impossible situations, healing in relationships. So it's it's a it's a really wonderful uh, it's a wonderful experience. Yeah, that's beautiful, George. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And you also, I know you do two types of readings on your website. One is angel soul readings. Can you say a little about how that works? Yeah, basically, I, I, I like to share with people a palpable experience of their guardian angel team. So they really know what it feels like. I teach them how to do it. It's very simple. It just takes a few minutes. And then we connect with the angels and we connect into the person's purpose, their level of happiness, any blocks or obstacles to that. And it's, it's really meant to empower people. Again, I, I always stress the personal responsibility, but adding on this team uh, from the invisible realm that can be a great help. And then the other is psychic tarot. And that deals with more mundane things, day-to-day -day issues, like when should I move house? Am I going to get the job interview? Or what do I need to know about that? That sort of thing. Now, I do also offer mediumship readings, but I have a limited number of those that I do in a year. So you just have to check back to the site to see when they're available. That's wonderful, George. So you mentioned mediumship there. So that segues us nicely into how did you move from tarot and angels into your mediumship development? You know, I, I would say that my experience of the angels and then opening up to mediumship happened very closely uh, to each other. So th they've kind of gone kind of neck and neck, if you will. In terms of the mediumship, my, my first experience was with, as, as I told you, the d death of my paternal grandmother. And then in Catholic school, grade school, I, I was just bored out of my mind there. And we would have uh, what's called here in the States a homeroom teacher. 90% of the time it was a nun, a sister. And as I was sitting there daydreaming, their departed relatives would come through. And I didn't know, I just presumed that everybody could do this and s experience this. So I was so excited, I would shout out messages to the sisters from their departed loved ones. And, you know, each time I would be smacked or dragged by my ear or my collar down to the principal's office. So I spent a lot of time in the hallway going back and forth. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. 
Yeah, well, when I started out, you know, in my little kid's brain, I was saying, what the hell? What's going on here? But oh. I, I finally, I, I soon learned the art of when to keep my mouth shut. Yes. And uh, it's, it's a good skill to have. When, when to talk and when not to talk. And so, yeah, it's, it's, you know, as you well know, it continues to evolve yeah. and, and change and grow. And it's, it's a wonderful adventure. Wonderful. Tell me a little bit more about your life in terms of how you paid the rent, how you paid your bills, the types of jobs that you've done outside of mediumship. Well, I started out in my 20s as a professional circus clown. I worked with circuses, and initially Ringling Brothers. I wasn't with them for a long time, but I went with smaller circuses and traveled for 20 years across the country, back and forth. Only place I did not go to was Alaska and Hawaii, but everywhere else, pretty much. So how did you run off to the circus? How does that work? I've always wanted to run off and join the circus. It's never too late, Anne. I can, I can introduce, <laughs> I know people. I can connect you. Chromatics Commission, I can connect you. I went to college on Long Island, Hofstra University, and I was in the theater department. I, I wanted to be an actor, and this I, I saw this advert in one of the New York City papers that they were having auditions for clowns, and I thought, is this a joke or is this real? But it was real. I went to the interview. The way I got hooked on the circus is when I was a kid growing up in Brooklyn, this is before social media or electronic communicate, a long time ago. When the circus was coming to town, promoters would come to the cities and towns to small shop owners, and they would put a poster for the circus that was coming in a week or two to town in the shop owner's window. And in exchange, the shop owner would get a handful of tickets. So my uncle and aunt had a tailor shop in Brooklyn. And every year since I was a little one, we would go to the circus. I think I was maybe seven or eight. I don't remember exactly when I went to the first one, Madison Square Garden. It was, And we sat really, we had really great seats. And I remember watching one of the acts and I got up and I started to walk down the steps toward the the rings. My aunt says to me, where are you going? And I said some version of I'm going home with them. She said, oh no, you're not. <laughs> Come here. She grabbed me back to the seat. But that's, I think, when I made the decision that, hey, I wanted to do, I wanted to be part of this. Wow. That's amazing that you had, that it moved you so much. Yeah. So I, I auditioned, uh, I think they had that year, they interviewed, interviewed 20, 2,500 people across the country. They narrowed it down to 22 or 25. Again, I'm sorry, I don't remember. It's a long time ago. But those, the 22, it was actually 22 of us. We got uh, an entree into the famous Ringling Brothers Clown College, which was in Venice, Florida at the time. And we were there for several weeks, and every from sunup to sundown, we would practice um, pantomime, acrobatics, walking a low wire, um, juggling, which I was really horrible at, um, 
anything that you can imagine, costume making, makeup, creating these, these improvised comedy sketches. And then at the end of those weeks, we put on a giant show. The locals weren't invited and also the owners of the circus. And of that group, they picked, now wait a minute, it was actually more than 22. It was way more than that. I think they narrowed it down to 22 and Ringling at that time had two different units. Half of us, I believe, went to one unit and half to another. And that was the beginning. Great fun. I, I am still friends with all of my buddies from the circus. They're just, it's, you know, it's a happy lifestyle, a really happy lifestyle. It's hard work, really hard work, but I'm still in touch with all of them. And uh, they're just wonderful people. Gosh, that's incredible. And how long did you spend that with the circus? For 20 years. Yeah, 20 years. That's such not, a long not time. with one circus. I did mm. a number of things. I went with, I was with Ringling for two years, two seasons. Then I went out with a friend, Carl Bertolino, who, um, who with his family were promoters of shows. And they, they, they did a thing which is popular here in the States. It's a circus that goes to a town, let's say Thursday or Friday through Sunday, and they play small college gymnasiums or high school gymnasiums. So uh, you pack the house. There's very low overhead in terms of insurance and things like that. And we would do just a whole circuit of towns. And then I also put together a one-person show. I played the ukulele. I did songs from vaudeville. I did some ventriloquism. I played a bunch of characters. And that was great fun. Why did you leave all that behind? It sounds great fun. You, you were surrounded by beautiful people, having a wonderful time. To save my back, when I when I eventually went from the circuses to doing my own show, I did like music, theater festivals, corporate events. I had three 50-pound trunks. I had a curtain, lighting, sound equipment, and then the props and, and the, the costume changes. And by the time I set up the show, I was ready for a nap, you know, to yeah. go to sleep. So physically, it's incredibly demanding. And, you know, at, at the end of it, I just, I, I felt really full and satisfied. I did what I set out to do. I, I knew during all of this time that I wanted to pursue the path of mediumship. That, that was never out of the picture. Had that ticked along underneath the clowning and the circus skills then? A absolutely. You know, you, one of the great things is, you know, we would play crowds of 5,000 and you learn to go out there, and even if you feel like you want to poop your pants, you don't show it. Absolutely don't show it. So that that was a skill. I also, yeah, I, I learned how to deal with unexpected or emergency situations. And so I'm very grateful for those skills. But during that time, I was reading the tarot for a lot of my circus comrades and also doing, some, you know, some mediumship I wasn't charging money for it at that point. And so how did you come to settle in the area in which you live now? If you did so much traveling, how did you decide, you know what, I want to go and live in the Hudson Valley? Well, I, at the time, I was living in Long Island, and I just got these, I would have these dreams to move up north. And... I, I just go, I'm not moving up north. I don't know. It's like we're in the sticks here. I don't want to, it's primitive. I don't want to go there. I want to be around people. But as an experiment, one weekend I went up. I have a friend in this area and he's, who was a realtor. And he started 
taking me around. The first house that I looked at, the house that I'm in now, I fell in love with and I put a deposit on it. And I've been here now for 30, 35 years, I think. Gosh. Yeah, it's Gosh. a beautiful area, really beautiful. And lots of uh, creative, wild, wonderful people. There's filmmaking here, theater, music, um, a lot of spiritual activity. So it's um, it's a great place. Yeah. You've still got that travel in your blood, though, haven't you? Because I know that you do a lot of travel with your work. Definitely gypsy blood. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you're doing theatre tour. Well, I know that theatres are closed um, here yeah. in the UK, probably over in America. Um, but you were doing a lot of theatre tours, weren't you? Uh, well, theatre tours to do, small theatres to do mediumship presentations, demonstrations and galleries. Yes. Yeah, there are a lot of old, uh, across the States, there are a lot of old vaudeville theatres here that were built for the time. So th these are not the palaces. These are places that seat anywhere from three to 500 people. Yeah. And th those are the venues where I would work. And did your parents know, uh, I know it was difficult, they were Catholic parents, and it was difficult to talk to them about the spiritual side of your life mm -hmm. in the way that your spirituality unfolded. Did are they Were they proud of you as a psychic medium? Did they know about that no, part of your work? Passed, both my mother and father passed when I was very young. Oh, I'm so sorry. So I was out on my own. You know, I, I I think that my mother and her sisters were highly intuitive, but terrified of it. One of, one of the sisters, actually, I was able to talk to. And, of course, my maternal grandmother. But So I did have that support, but around the house with mom and dad, mm -mm, don't go there. Yeah, I know the feeling. <laughs> don't go there. Your life is not worth it. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> so what aspect of your development your spiritual development i mean we're all developing we we continue to develop mediumship our spirituality it continues to evolve every day that we're on the earth so where do your interests particularly lie at the moment at this current time uh great question you know most people who go on to do this work professionally will have some kind of a calling or something that they come into the life with, at least that's been my observation. But then they will go on to study with a mentor or tutor, somebody who is, knows the ropes, who has experience and help can to help refine that gift. And I've done that. I know that you've done that. And I've had the good fortune. Well, I, that's how I met you, and I'm I'm thrilled because I met so many wonderful people, and of course the the tutors, the mentors. I I adore, just have great love and affection and respect for them. But I've found that I'm I'm at a point now where I'm really spending a lot of time in silence, and currently I go to more of the the realm of the spirit guides master teachers and i just sit quietly sometimes i have an intention you know i'd like to know about this or that but um mostly i just sit with an open mind and heart with the intent of experiencing them on a deeper level and also learning from them and i keep journals 
I, I make notes and I've, I've gotten, I've got some really wonderful ideas and some great guidance. So it's an ongoing journey. I can't say, you know, where I am along the path, but it's, it's, it's fun and it's exciting. Yeah. Beautiful. Really beautiful. And so George, you said that you were going to, um, before we started recording this interview, you said that you would offer an exercise for people listening that they can do at home. Well, the exercise I, I actually already shared previously, but uh, which is, again, just to, to quickly recap, call out from your heart and mind, invite the angels, welcome them to come work with you, and then ask for something that you really need help with. And you can get your frustration and anger out, but then say, this is what I'd like to see happen. Thank you, and I love you. And you end with that and wait to receive messages as to the steps you need to take to bring about your desired goal. And that's the most important part for us to do our part. Uh, actually, what, what I was speaking of was maybe to do a short angelic blessing, if that's okay. That would be wonderful. I'm sure right. everybody so, would love that. In, in my experience, the, this process involves a number of things. It involves healing energy. So for your listeners, uh, regardless of when you're listening to this, the effectiveness never diminishes because the angelic realm operates out of what we know as time and space. Uh, so there is healing energy there. There can also be guidance, and they are great at helping to steer us toward our purpose and to be truly happy. So I'm going to take, all right, as I'm talking now, I'd like, if you're listening here and you're, you're receptive to this, I'm going to take about 30 seconds in silence. So during that time, don't think that I've gone to sleep. Please do not go on to Amazon and make purchases or eBay to bet on an object. I'm going to be here during that 30 seconds and sending you this uh, wonderful angelic blast of energy. So uh, if, if you are uh, driving a vehicle, please pull over. Or if you're operating heavy machinery, please stop. And if you can, close your eyes. If you are driving or operating machinery, Please do not close your eyes. I don't want to get any emails from anybody. So just take a few moments now to take a few breaths in and out and allow yourself to become fully present in this moment. Let go of the past. Let go of any thoughts or concerns about the future to be here in the current present moment. And join me from your hearts and minds as I say, welcome, angels. And we thank you for giving a blessing in whatever form is needed to each and every person who is listening to this. So you don't need to know how to fix a particular problem, when it's going to happen. Just sit in this space of silence now. We're going to sit for just 30 seconds, and I will call us back. All right, that's beautiful. Thank you. So just take a breath in 
let it go. And the one thing I can tell you from my experience with this is that this energy, as it's set up, is ongoing. It unfolds into time and space. So if you have any interesting dreams, if you notice any sort of release or healing, please make note of it and, and just send out a message of appreciation to the angels. This process can last for weeks and even months. So just uh, be a good observer. And uh, I hope you'll, you'll get some wonderful benefit from it. George, that was beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that with everybody. Well, thank, you. thank you for no. allowing me to do it. That was lovely. And so um, you are this beautiful and very respected tarot teacher. Have you got some tarot courses coming up that people can come and sign up for? Or what have you, what have you got planned in terms of courses and classes and workshops well, for 2021? It's, it's interesting that you ask. I am converting, as many of us are, to an online teaching platform. And I've discovered that even though I'm pretty tech savvy, the process of converting just one course over is taking an inordinate amount of time. So I have my first course mounted. It's called the Angels of Prosperity. And if you go to my site, you'll see access there. There's a whole uh, page devoted to it. And again, my site is spiritlovesyou.com. I also have many free resources there, free downloads in terms of audios and PDFs. There's one on a powerful healing mantra a powerful prosperity mantra that goes back to ancient India, a forgiveness prayer, and some some other great stuff. And I'm always going to be adding to that. Uh, my next series of courses will be on the tarot. This is uh, just a massive undertaking. There's going to be videos and audios and PDFs. So I am I am currently writing the course so it will be online friendly. And I expect just into the in the, oh, the next few months it will be up and running. And I'll be adding those throughout the you know the coming years. I'm sure different on different topics: mediumship, tarot, working with angels, the whole nine yards. Brilliant! That's fabulous. And when they are ready to go and ready for for being on sale, do let us know, and we'll put it on the Psychic Matters Facebook group page for people to. Book. Oh, beautiful! Thank you so much. And it's just been. A gas talking to you. <laughs> George, it's always lovely to see you. And um, I just adore your company. And you're just such an inspiration to be around. Thank you very, very much for coming on the show Thank to you. talk it's to everybody. Beautiful for me. Ah, Thank you. That's so nice. George Curry, thank you. Well, that was psychic medium and angel messenger, George Curry. What a fantastic guy doing some incredible work out there in the world. If you are interested in George's work, I highly recommend that you follow him. Not in person, that would just be so weird, but on social media platforms and his website. And do please sign up to his newsletter so that you can receive details of his incredible training courses, his one-to-one sittings and his tarot classes, plus his wonderful free event, Calling All Angels, which takes place every single month. Make friends with the angels and watch your 2021 blossom. All resources for this episode, including a full transcript and, plus importantly, how to reach George, are over on my website under podcasts. So do head over there and you can pick everything up on the show notes. Uh, just go to www 
anteato.com and have a little explore while you're there. I've got some wonderful meditations that you might enjoy. Before I go, can I ask you to write a written review for this podcast? Yes, you, you there. I see you walking the dog or sitting on the armchair or you on the treadmill at the gym. (laughs) When you're done with that, could you please write me a review for Psychic Matters? Just launch the Apple Podcast app, search for Psychic Matters and scroll down to ratings and reviews. Uh, There you go. If you've got an Android phone, then you can go to Stitcher, find Psychic Matters, click reviews and write your honest review there. They really help so much with moving this little one woman podcast up the podcast charts. And I really appreciate that. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again to my wonderful guest this week, George Curry. And to all of you out there who are listening, have a fantastic couple of weeks, everybody. Stay as buoyant as possible. And until next time, my name is Anne Teato. And thank you for listening to Psychic Matters. Psychic Matters.